Written on the pages of the great book of nature lies a truth so profound that it has beckoned men and women throughout the ages to seek its wisdom. We will continue this quest and study many stories of humanity as we search for this light. On this journey, we will examine philosophy, religion, and science to uncover the hidden mysteries behind myth and legend using the symbols of universal Freemasonry. Welcome to Legends of the Craft. Welcome back to Legends of the Craft. I'm here with my co-host, Brother Axel Savari. And today we're going to be discussing the legend of Freemasonry being a cult. C-U-L-T. This is a pretty persistent legend as far as legends about Freemasonry go. Um, we, we actually got kind of focused on this subject after reading an article that Brother Chris Hodat posted on his blog, uh, Freemasons, Freemasonry for Dummies, about the uh, right Worshipful master of a lodge of the Ledroit Humane in Australia who has gone missing at sea with her son after the two of them took a boat trip uh, for her son to cleanse her of the evil spirits of Freemasonry. This is a pretty tragic story that really kind of like made me think a lot about what the uh, the outside world really considers Freemasonry to be. Well, I don't think um, they found any bodies or anything. They went out six months ago to sea. The daughter took a photo of them right before they left, and she is alive. And then they disappear. And so it looked like it was not a fruitful mission. No, and it, and the, the, the trip was taken in order to do this kind of like cleansing of her many years in co-masonry and all the evil spirits that it had awoken. It, it's, you know, it's very sad that what happened. I mean, I assume these people are, are missing at sea, probably presumed dead, and, and all because of somebody's misunderstanding of what Freemasonry is and does. Well, I can't tell you the number of times I've encountered... Uh, Christians, most likely, they were probably more fundamentalist in nature, that have told me that I belong to a cult because I'm a Freemason and have told me about all the terrible things we're doing, especially the high degrees of Freemasonry because the high degrees uh, have all the truth and in the low degrees, we're just lying to all the new Masons. They don't really understand that one day the truth will be revealed and they're going to be they're going to be found that they're worshiping the devil. As you know, Brother Matthias, I was a, uh, a rabid conspiracy nut before uh, joining. <laughs> you still joining are. You still <laughs> well, are. to a certain extent, I still am. But uh, this, is, this is exactly the kind of stuff I would spend you know, hours and hours of my time researching and watching. And I use researching in a very loose sense of the word. <laughs> but watching all this kind of stuff on YouTube videos, reading it in books and articles. That, you know, Freemasonry is basically this Ponzi scheme that, that, that deceives everybody in the Blue Lodge until finally in the 32nd degree it's revealed that you're really worshiping Lucifer. All you got to do is read Morals and Dogma and it proves it. Because this book that you can buy anywhere, including eBay, somehow has... <laughs> all the secrets but it's a secret book but you can buy it anywhere but it tells you the whole truth so this is I mean, well hold on hold on hold on hold on, hold on. <laughs> so so you this is a question i don't think i've ever asked you but you uh read all these conspiracy theories about the cult of freemasonry and so why did you decide to join <laughs> well so there <laughs> there comes a point in every uh conspiracy nuts uh i guess career if you will where you basically either you either try to join the, the cults that are going on or you become like a fundamentalist Christian and just fight against them for the rest of your life. 
Like, <laughs> so you liked everything you heard. At, at some point, I'm like, you know, a- after you know, meeting some masons and reading a little bit more about it, I'm like, okay, well, maybe that maybe Crow seven 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 on YouTube doesn't have all of the final truth about Freemasonry, and that there might be something I can learn from actually undergoing it. So let's first start with the word cult. Now, I want to preface something here. There's the word occult and the word cult. And I don't know how many times I meet people that get confused with these two words. Cult is what we're going to discuss today. It's, it's a group of people with, with some beliefs and some practices. Uh, occult is what is hidden. It essentially means hidden things. And someone that's a, a cultist would be somebody that's searching for hidden truth. These two, though they you know, etymologically share uh, root words here, they are not the same word. Mm-hmm. These are two different things. So remember, we're talking about a cult, not a cult today. Now, a cult can be a cult, yes. depending on its belief structure. But there are many, like, there are many religious cults, you know, we're, we're most familiar with uh, cults of a Christian kind of nature or derivative. But there are, there are many different cults across the world. It can be a cult. It can be mainstream religious. It, can, it, it all depends on the We on should the definitely cult. get into that. Yeah. So the word comes from the Latin cultus, which actually, interestingly enough, means care or adoration. I didn't know that. Uh, I, I hadn't come across that before, but that's interesting that it's like a, a kind of like a group that cares or adores a particular figure or a concept. And it also comes from the word colo, meaning cultivate or protect. So kind of protecting something you care about. Well, that makes sense because cultivate, the word cult is in cultivate. So mm-hmm. you cultivate a crop, you cultivate uh, somebody's studies, you you cultivate your children uh, to blossom into good citizens. So the, the word cultivate is not a bad word right Mm -hmm. but the word for some reason today cult is bad and before we get into the definitions i think it's important that we mention that the word cult had a different meaning thousands of years ago so you had the roman cults you had the cult of isis the uh the different mystery schools were called cult you could call it the cult of mithra and the word was not a a terrible word back then It it, it denoted specific uh, religious groups that practice uh, adoration uh, towards a specific person like Isis or Mithra. Yeah, it was more like the word club is today than cult is recognized today. Like it, you, when you would meet somebody or talk about it, like you'd be like, oh, you belong to this cult or that. Like it wasn't like a, a derogatory thing no. that one kept hidden. It was like, oh yeah, I'm, I belong to the cult of Mithras. Like that was just kind of the term that was used in order to describe your particular uh, religious school of instruction. Yeah, the cult of Sol Invictus. You mm-hmm. know, there were there were hundreds of cults during the time of Rome, and the word cult doesn't really come into mainstream consciousness until I think Jim Jones. I think he's really like that kind of blew it up in the mainstream media, and it's it, that's the type of cult that we think of today when we use the word it really started to be used to describe kind of like fringe religious groups kind of in the 60s when all that stuff was going on but you're right like it really it reached ahead with jim jones and the people's temple um and that's you know when we when we think of cults what's the first phrase that comes to your mind drink the kool-aid well first of all it was flavor aid it wasn't kool-aid but that comes from (laughs) that comes from jim jones and and what happened down in guyana so let's get back to the word here so uh cult So if you look it up, Webster's Dictionary, it's always the best place to go to figure out some very simple explanations of the word. It can mean a group or sect of people with a defiant religious, philosophical, or cultural identity, often existing on the margins of society 
or exploitative towards... Am I say that right? Yeah, that's exploitative. Yeah. yeah. Excuse me, exploitative uh, towards its members. Uh, second definition is devotion to a saint. That's interesting. That probably comes from that from the Roman sense, you know, yeah. any old Roman Catholicism. Uh, the third one here is veneration and religious rights given to a de- deity, especially in a historical polytheistic context. Um, next, we have a religion that evolved out of another religion but has become a different religion through developing as a radically different theology. And finally, a group of people having an obsession with or an intense adoration for particular activities, ideas, persons, or things. Yeah, and, and in that sense, you can kind of find cults anywhere amongst, like, fanatic. You know, what that last one reminds me of is, like, the cult of personalities that were present in the uh, the Soviet Union, how people would describe um, Stalin's, you know, followers, for example, that they were practicing a cult of personality, or Kim Jong-il or Kim Il-sung you know, in North Korea that were creating these kind of political cults. I think it's a really good point about the political cults. I listened to a... Um an interview with people that had lived during the time of um what's his name the great leap forward mao uh, mao mao satan and they basically worshiped him as a deity mm-hmm. you know we think of communism being you know with religion being removed from communism but in terms of china i mean they deified the individual adolf hitler also was given sort of a deity status within the Nazi party and in Germany. So how much of these definitions do we agree with? Because, you know, I, I think all too often, and especially like from uh, from the perspective of being a member of a, you know, somewhat secret society, a, a society that is closed to the outside world that doesn't just kind of advertise what we're doing all the time. I do kind of, I've definitely run into it a little bit with my family, but also with friends of like, you know, this kind of like cult-like suspicion towards what Freemasonry is. Like, and I kind of, you know, some of these aspects, like an intense admiration for a particular idea. Well, I do, I, I feel like I have an intense admiration for the ideas of Freemasonry. There are some aspects of this that I would tend to agree with. Yeah, I mean, the problem with this definition, it's so ambiguous and vague that it can be applied to almost any group. Um, and I think we should have a discussion today about mainstream mainstream religion. You know, if you look at Catholicism, you look at Islam, you look at Hinduism, you can apply almost all of these to that group. They they may not be radical only because they're so large, mm-hmm. but just because you're big and you've survived, does that make your ideas any better or worse? Well, I mean, especially in the in the context of organized religion, if we go into the past, I mean, if the groups were smaller, their actions would certainly be seen as radical by historians. Like, really, the, the difference between, you know, Waco and the Crusades is one of scale. Uh, we think of the Crusades as a moment in history because the Catholic Church and the Euro- and the Christian nations of Europe were just so large, and so were the is so was the uh, the caliphates that they were fighting against that they became historical powers. But really, what was happening was a conflict of religious ideas that would, that turned violent and bloody. You know, if that happens on a small scale, oh, that's cult activity with a bunch of fringe wackos on the edge of society who don't really mean anything. But if it's a large group of people, well, that's forces of history. That's that's what we teach about in school, really, is different cults. Yeah, I mean, basically what you're saying, and basically what these definitions are kind of alluding to, is the idea that uh, the victor gets the right history. Mm-hmm. So if you win, then you get to— <laughs> Then you're not a cult anymore. <laughs> then you're not a cult, and you get to write history and say that you're right, and it's great. 
Um, I don't know. I, I think we need to be a little more scientific with this. So we found a handout from the International uh, Cultic Studies Association. So this is a, an association that studies cults. And I think they made a very good list here, a list that, that is far better than the, defini- the, the Webster definition of a cult. And there are 11 points. So why don't we go one by one, mm-hmm. say the point, maybe bring up some historical context of a cult that, that shared that, um, and then kind of view it through the lens of Freemasonry and see, is Freemasonry a cult by that time we get to the end of the list? Sure. So the first one here is uh, the, their first point as to what makes something a cult. A religion or sect generally considered to be extremist or false under the guidance of an authoritarian, charismatic leader for whom members exhibit fixed, even religious, veneration. So that's kind of like your, your classic cult, your Jim Jones, your David Koresh kind of, you know, authoritarian leader with a fringe religious belief that has gathered a group of adoring people around them. Well, then, if this is a definition for a cult, then countries can be cults. Um, even even book clubs or uh you know associations with strong leaders can be called cults i mean it's so it's it's i don't know i think it's ridiculous almost the point that what this is the main point that people say like oh look at that charismatic guy mm-hmm. or gal over there that person's definitely running a cult because everybody believes in them i'm like well so is bill gates or is um who's the apple guy Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Or Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. There's people that I know that like Elon Musk is like a god to them. Are they cult leaders? Or Kim Kardashian. Or like, a million other celebrities. celebrities. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting that we call it pop culture and that they are the stars that we follow. You know, it, there is some actually some very religious and cult-like language around um, celebrity culture. And we should make the point that cult and culture are descended from the same word for a reason. Like our culture is kind of the cult that is generally agreed upon. There is a there is a reason that people from other cultures find our culture or when we go and visit them that we find things odd or kind of out of place. Like it's because it's a clash of cults. It's just been widely well, accepted. I mean, if we, we look at the word cultivate and culture, I would say a culture are people that are cultivating one another. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a brotherhood of people working towards a common goal, which you could also use as a definition of a cult, right? <laughs> yeah. So let's let's go to Freemasonry on this one. I mean, is is does Freemasonry have a charismatic leader? The, interestingly enough, no. Freemasonry is probably one of the few institutions that does not have a very strong uh, tie to its leadership. There's generally elections. There's shorter terms. And masonry is diffused along lodges, Mm -hmm. lodges that have all their own leadership. So, you know, the Grand Lodge of Colorado, for example, there's a Grand Lodge, they have Grand Officers, but each of the lodges have their own masters and officers. And it's a very decentralized model, kind Mm -hmm. of going back to our anarchy study group. And so, yes, the Grand Master has certain powers, but they're very limited, they're very diffused. And in the Grand Lodge of Colorado, I think a Grand Master only serves one year. There's not much you can do in one year, frankly. It's, actually, that's one of the complaints of the of the North American Grand Lodge system. But Freemasonry in general, there are leaders, and some of them are probably charismatic. I mean, I think it's a good thing to have charismatic leaders, but the emphasis of the organization is not on the leaders. Yeah, that I think is where Freemasonry has kind of, um, you know, erected some defenses against the uh, 
the psychological things that happen that tend to happen in organizations where there is power and there is money because in Freemasonry there there is you know certain certain kinds of, of power and there's certainly a lot of money that flows through it that that could become corrupted you know anytime you're doing ritual work or you're trying to work on a plane that is not just the material there is mm-hmm. a lot of psychological power that comes along with that and one of the ways that Freemasonry has kind of set its own defenses is to make the organization not focused on a leader. You know, when you're focused on a leader and lot, when you're focused on the right worshipful master, you're not focused on Tim, the right worshipful master. You're focused on the office of the right worshipful master, and Tim happens to be in that chair for his term. But really, like what the what the veneration is given towards is the idea of the East, of, of the the ruler that sits in the East. It's much more of a general concept than it is a specific person. When you salute somebody in a Masonic Lodge, you're saluting the principles that person is temporarily representing. Mm-hmm. And that's something I always explain to new enter apprentices. Like the person is unimportant. It's the office they hold. It's the office that we venerate. It's it's if you're, it's for the right worshipful master. It's wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's the senior warden, it's strength. These are the things that are that are being saluted within and without. For example, in co masonry. Um from time to time, officers of our lodge will give what we call architectures. They're a just lecture. An essay or a lecture or a talk on a certain idea um, about Masonic philosophy. And in order to do so, that officer has to remove their collar in order to give their ideas. Because we can never conflate uh, one person's personal ideology with the ideology or the philosophy of that office. So, for example, if the, if the deacon is giving a piece of architecture, he's not the deacon for that time that he's giving the architecture because it's not the deacon giving the architecture. It's brother so-and-so, which is a very important distinction to make that, that these ideas are not coming from the lodge itself. The only, the only speech that comes from the officers is the ritual. Is not Everything else is, a, is, a, is the opinion of that brother. And different people can fill those different offices at different times and different places. Let's go to the second point. Mm. Gr- there was one more. One um, more point. There's one more point I wanted to make because um, in in that first definition it says a religion or sect generally considered to be extremist or false. I think we should address that part too because a lot of people think that Freemasonry is either extremist or false. And on the first point, I guess you know from the modern perspective, if you read the first three chapters of Pike, you can see why people might consider our philosophy to be a little bit extreme. I, I don't know if I agree with that, Brother Axel. I mean, I think. Uh, Brother Albert Pike, I think it plainly is spelling out truth. It's just with words from the 19th century. So it's a lot of extra words. It's a lot of big words. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's simple truth that he's trying to dictate. And it's, he's talking about equilibrium. He's talking about meeting in the center. He's not talking about extremes at all. Actually, he's combating all extremes in all his writings. But I want to actually back up to a sentence before, which is a religion or sect. You know, Freemasonry is not a religion. It is religious, but it is not a religion. People can be Christian. People can be Buddhist. People can be Hindu. People can be Mormon. People can be uh, a Taoist. Um, you can practice any religion and be a Freemasonry. Mm-hmm. A Freemasonry. A Freemason, excuse me. And, and in that, um, we cannot be considered a religion. Even though we do um, have prayers and even though that we talk about religious concepts— it's not a religion. We don't have a set group of ideas. Mm-hmm. We don't have a pope. We don't have a prophet. 
So we're not a religion. So automatically, if we just go on the first word of this first point of what is a cult, mm -hmm. we're disqualified. Yeah. Well, and but I think, you know, this is kind of the the problem with evaluating these kinds of things from like the conspiratorial perspective is that you only end up seeing the the outer covering of Freemasonry, which is symbols, it's uh, religious looking garb, like we all dress the same. It, there, there's kind of religious iconography to it. So, so you look at it, and, and for a lot of the people that are the detractors of Freemasonry that would call us a cult, their only way of viewing those things are from a religious perspective. They tend to be Christians, they tend to be fundamentalist Christians, and they, they tend to kind of associate those things only with religion. And so the idea of, you know, it being a philosophy with rituals that are practiced is somewhat foreign because for them, the only reason that people would be acting or dressing or speaking that way is in a religious context. And again, Freemasonry is religious. I mean, we're, we are talking about spiritual concepts. There's no doubt about that, mm -hmm. but that doesn't make us a religion. You and I can have a conversation on spirituality, but we're not forming a religion, and it's not part of a religion. So just because we talk about religious things or spiritual concepts doesn't make it a religion. Yeah. We don't guarantee salvation. And we'll get to that point. I think that's the last point, so I don't want to get too much into that. So let's get to the second point of what makes a cult. So groups that meet this definition tend to have an escalating negative impact on the lives of followers. Man, this is vague, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> it's pretty I vague. Mean, I mean, I've heard uh, atheists say that every religion has a negative impact on everyone that belongs to any organized faith. And I've likewise heard um, religious people, people of religions say that every atheist is, you know, living a horrible life and that they should stop following these these false leaders of, you know, scientific uh, endeavors and the technologists and all these people that are kind of gearing our civilization towards its own self-destruction. So this one's a little, I don't know, this is very subjective to me. Yeah, and I think it is kind of like the, it, it's the subjective criteria that by which many people derogatorily call anything that somebody becomes kind of like obsessed with a cult and, and sometimes deservedly sometimes not so much I, I think that a lot of people view um you know somebody changing their behavior their philosophy and their outlook on life as inherently negative i've heard that a lot um, that basically if you're making changes because of something an organization has told you or is instilling in you then you're becoming a bad person or that it's having a negative impact on your life because it's changing who you are but a lot of the times, we should be changing who we are. A lot of things about us are not necessarily the best that they could be. At least, and for sure, in Freemasonry, I've encountered things in my own character that I've wanted to change. But I wouldn't have wanted to change those things had I not encountered the philosophy of Freemasonry. So I've had some people in my life say that Freemasonry is changing me and that that's a bad thing without making any attempt to understand the changes or why I'm making them. It's like a marriage, you know? When two people come together... The families of both these people always like, oh, that person's influencing my daughter or my son. Well, of course they are. Like, they're getting married. You know, they're coming together to live the rest of their life. Like, two people coming together will influence one another and hopefully for the positive. But you cannot not belong to a group and, 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 and not be influenced by them. You know, like, why do you join a group? Why do you join a book club? You join a book club because... You're reading a book and you want to learn from it so that it changes you. You go to school, so school will change you. You get into a marriage, so you'll be changed for the better. 
You get a job to be changed for the better. Like everything you do or any association you make is because you're trying to change, right? Otherwise, what's the Even if you just want to be friends and laugh around and have a good time, well, you're seeking happiness mm-hmm. and you're probably not happy. So if you're seeking friendships, it's because there's a void in your life. Well, and it's it's because, you know, and in our society, maybe this is a pessimistic view, but it seems that in our society, there's like three or four approved channels for changing yourself. <laughs> it's like, it's school, your marriage, uh, joining the military, and that's about it. Like, and as far as organizations that are allowed to change your mind, like everything else is kind of fringe. Like, oh, that's you know, if you join a religion and become fanatic and you weren't before, like, oh, now that you're changing, that's not good. I've heard a lot of people say that the military is a cult too. So I've heard I, a lot. I, of I don't even know if that, that's safe. Ground. Yeah, maybe that's not even safe anymore. But there are very few, like, it's the difference between our society and and the Roman society where there's, like, a hundred cults for you to choose from because they kind of identified that as a universal need. Now it's like, well, if you do any changing after you leave school, you're weird. Like, if you go go somewhere, find somewhere that you want to change and and be more like them and kind of uplift an organization or an ideal, well, then you're a weirdo and you should come back to the herd. And Freemasonry being an institution that's lasted hundreds of years, if not thousands, depending on where you think its origin is, its motto is to the perfection of humanity. And if we take uh, you know, one of the male craft mottos, to make good men better, literally the craft of Freemasonry has been engineered in such a way to make people better. Mm-hmm. That's why they have – why its members have become presidents and senators – and inventors and generals and all the great people we read in history books, a lot of them were Freemasons over the last 300 years. Well, obviously, if we use history, the track record of Freemasonry making good men better is pretty good. It's not, it's not having a negative impact. It's having a positive impact. Well, I think there definitely has been a shift over the last 100 years about the role of fraternal societies in culture in a, and in creating culture. And I think for to a large extent, like that is really diminished. Like our, our even thinking of like the idea that people should join organizations for the goal of making them better, that's kind of gone from our society. Like that's certainly not something that, you know, I learned about when I was in school. It was like, oh, you should, you know, find an organization and uphold its principles and try to become a better person. That's That doesn't really exist. Whereas it was much more of a part of life, I would say, 100, 120 years ago. It's greatly diminished. I wouldn't say it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. That's a little extreme. But certainly, I think it's diminished greatly. Um, Let's go on to our next point. So point number three. One charismatic leader is the group's sole authority on truth. Only this leader decides or has the right to approve all policies and practices. Again, as we sort of already mentioned, the leadership of Freemasonry is diffused. One person in Masonry doesn't get to call all the shots. And frankly, Freemasonry isn't one organization. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people that watch too many YouTube videos about Freemasonry <laughs> think that Freemasonry is like one group this with one, one leadership. thing that just, yeah, just orchestrates everything from the shadows. Yeah. God, I wish. There are hundreds of Masonic obediences. There are hundreds of Masonic grandmasters. Um, leadership is diffused, so not everything rests on the shoulders of one person. And... When you do find these grand masters, these these deputy grand masters, these most sovereign grand commanders of like Scottish right bodies, their power is diffused in the Grand Lodge or in the Supreme Council. Like it's very democratic. There mm-hmm. are it may not be you know one man one vote in all these systems, but there is checks and balances. It's, it's very democratic. It's a republic, 
And so this leader is to lead us through very specific things and not to decide everything. Well, Freemasonry and the systems that it descends from have been around for, in my opinion, thousands of years. They've had plenty of time to observe human psychology and to establish exactly these kinds of safeguards that will keep an organization going, regardless of whether or not you have good personalities or bad personalities. I think you made one point that I think is probably uh, uh, a shock, or at least something they haven't heard before for a lot of people that aren't familiar with the Masonic world, that there are that there are differences of opinions between Freemasons. You know, I remember after being initiated, one of the fun, one of the things I thought was like the funniest thing in the world was that there are that within secret societies, there's secret societies that call other secret societies clandestine. I got a good laugh out of it. I'm like, how is one secret society saying another one's too clandestine to be part of this secret society? But I didn't know that that world existed. I think a lot of people don't know that there, that there are hundreds of different Masonic obediences that don't always agree with one another. The Masonic world can be just as petty as the outer world. Yeah, and I think that, you know, just just in that alone, like we are, Freemasonry is not one monolithic organization that has absolute say over the lives of its members. Not even, even within Masonry, there's huge disagreement. What makes a cult? Point number four. Members are zealous, protective, and unquestionably committed to the leader. Well, that doesn't happen in Freemasonry. I mean, go onto any Masonic forum and you'll see almost every Mason criticizing their Grand Lodge, <laughs> not happy with its rules. Um, criticism is part of being in Masonry, mm-hmm. hopefully constructive criticism. But there's no uh, censorship of what you can say in a Masonic Lodge or outside a Masonic Lodge. Um, you can do things that are un-Masonic, like you can you know, defame a brother, and those things are considered a Masonic crime. But, you know, saying you don't agree how something works or that there's a better way, that absolutely does exist. And I think that freedom of thought is critical to Freemasonry. Well, a master that doesn't listen to their members can barely be said to be a master of anything. If you're, if you're not paying attention to the people that you're supposed to be directing, then you're not doing a very good job of leading them anywhere. However, I mean, I, I think, again, this point gets to the nature, like what really separates Freemasonry from, from being a cult is the fact that we don't really have these, these leaders to focus on. It is, in a sense, like there are leaders, but in a sense, like the organization is somewhat leaderless in its foundation. Because I would argue that Freemasonry, its philosophy, its rituals, and, and the conclusions it brings you to as an initiate of its mysteries, it does promote a certain uh, zealousness and protectiveness about the experience that you've had. I mean, certainly Freemasonry never promotes an unquestioning attitude towards anything. Like the foundation of, of Freemasonry is to question the world around you and what's going on with it and what the true implications of everything that you're experiencing are. So, so to say that it ever would say like, oh, don't think about, think about everything, just not this one thing where it's concerned about you. Like that, that really doesn't happen in Freemasonry. But I would argue that it does create a kind of um, a fervor for Freemasonry. I mean, we should have a fervor. And all the things that we do in life. So I don't think that's a that's a crime. That's not a cult. If you know you're really into what you're doing, you know whether you be a musician, an athlete, an inventor, or you're just really overzealous about you know your work. That's fine. But when you get to that level of not being able to question what you're in, mm-hmm. that's the problem. And that's that's a red flag right there. And that kind of leads us to uh, what makes a cult point number. Five and six. I'm going to put these two together because I think they're very related. Mm -hmm. 
So number five is members regard the leader's beliefs and practices as truth and law. The leader affirms and enforces this idea. Number six is questioning, doubt, and dissent are discouraged or punished. Yeah, these are things that are definitely not taking place within Freemasonry. Questioning, doubt, and dissent are really the foundation of, <laughs> of everything that we study in Freemasonry, is to question doubt and dissent from popular opinions or kind of mundane attitudes towards things. That's what Freemasonry encourage. In any organization, you're going to encounter kind of people that want to prey on others. But again, that's that's limited in Freemasonry by the extent that you know authority is diffused and decentralized. No one person can kind of accumulate the power necessary in order to take a Masonic Lodge and turn it into a cult. Literally, the words questioning, doubt, and dissent are in our rituals in co-masonry. Like, we are taught in the first three degrees how to question, how to doubt, and how to properly dissent. It's part of our education in the seven liberal arts and sciences. You have how to master rhetoric, how to use logic and grammar. You know, the these ideas are, are actually taught to us because they're not taught very much in traditional schools, but we're taught in masonry through the ritual how to think not what to think but how to think and that kind of leads to the idea that in freemasonry again you can be of any religion but you can also be of any political group or or any belief system or philosophical system freemasonry does not have its own belief system i know a lot of youtube videos are going to tell you that there's just like nefarious sort of belief system in freemasonry if there is a belief system it's that you should question you should doubt and you should dissent to that which is wrong. And you do not get punished in Freemasonry. On the contrary, you are encouraged. You are given a charge to question, doubt, and dissent. Mm -hmm. This is actually the main weapon of Freemasonry against all the ignorance in the world. It teaches us to first question ourselves, to doubt why we believe what we do. Because, you know, we've been raised in families and religions and, and grown up in specific cultures. So we have our own biases. So Freemasonry says, look at yourself before you point the finger at someone else. Look mm -hmm. at why you are the way you are. Before you question the world, question yourself. And once you've questioned yourself and worked out your biases, then let's take a look at the world. Let's question it. Let's dismantle those things that are not allowing us to grow as a society. And that's how we perfect society. Well, and you know, in my experience in masonry, the only thing that I have experienced that is being that is actively discouraged is exactly that. It's the it's the idea of accepting anything without questioning it or arriving at its conclusions for yourself. The only thing that I've ever encountered in masonry that other masons have discouraged me from doing is that is to accept some is to accept some conclusion without questioning its premises, without questioning its execution or how it actually affects me or the people around me. That's what is actively discouraged. What is encouraged is is everything that you said. It's this questioning, doubt, and dissent that we find everywhere because really that's that's the only way to arrive at the truth of anything is to question doubt and dissent. And truth is our aim, like to find the truth of how to perfect humanity for the glory of God. That's the aim of Freemasonry. And if we're not able to do those things, then that goal is unattainable. So let's go on to point number seven of what makes a cult. The group's leadership decides how members should think, act, and feel. Members require the leader's permission to change jobs, date, marry, or have children. The leader tells members where they can live and how to teach and discipline their children. Okay, well, Masonry has none of this, okay? As I've said before on a different podcast, Freemasonry, and this is me metaphorically speaking, 
is religion for adults. Okay, you go to a church, they're gonna tell you do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. They they teach you like your children to some regards. Mm-hmm. They, they they basically you know slap you on the wrist if you break any of their rules. Well, in Freemasonry, there aren't any rules. Every Mason can live the way they see fit. They can choose their job, date who they want, marry who they want, have children, don't have more children, raise their children how they want to. There's no discussion in the Masonic rituals whatsoever about any of these things. I mean, if if any Mason was told what to do, they would resign immediately. Like, I couldn't even fathom this even being a reality. Like, mm-hmm. Freemasons are so uh, independent, fiery, independent souls that they would never tolerate anybody telling them how to live their life. And again, Masonry doesn't have those ideas. It tells you to be honorable. It tells you to be good. It tells you to help your fellow man. It never even tells you how to do those things. Masonry, Frustratingly, sometimes. Frustrating, <laughs> yeah. People want sometimes want a textbook. But like the idea is like Masonry tells you in principle, philosophically, how you should be by virtue, mm-hmm. not in detail. You by yourself have to come up with by your own questioning and by your own doubting what you need to be doing in that plan. Well, I think, you know... Probably where the accusation of Masonry as a cult-like organization kind of stems from the fact that, you know, people do tend to want to change themselves after becoming Masons. Like, they, they see a lot of things in their life that are not where they, they're not optimal, they're not what they want them to be. They, they realize that perhaps they've been engaging in things in their life that they don't really want to do anymore. They, they want to become a more virtuous person. Well, for, in order for that to take place, they may have to change some things. Perhaps there's a, a toxic relationship that they're involved in that they want to end after they become a Mason. Perhaps they're unfulfilled in their career. They want to start a new job after they become a Mason. I think people see that. They don't see the ritual experience and the actual psychological transformation that the person underwent on their own. And they just see, oh, you became a Mason. You started changing all these things. So Masonry is changing you. Masonry told you to change these things. And and for a lot of people, like, like you said, like it's religion for adults. Like They can't really kind of conceive of something that would make them want to change on their own without being told. I talk to Masonic inquirers that are trying to join Universal Co-Masonry. I've done it for 20 years now. And the one thing I hear from everyone is, you know, when I ask them, why do you want to join? They're like, well, I want to change. I want to be a better person. I want to learn the truth. They're joining to change. Like you don't, again, <laughs> yeah. you don't join an organization not to change. Yeah. Then why would you join? Even if it's an organization that only does charity, well, it's because you want to do something you're not doing. So this idea that you know that you shouldn't change when you join an organization is is stupid. Of course you're going to change, and hopefully for the better. That's why you're not content with yourself, so you go seek something out. What we define as a cult today is a group taking advantage of those people. Mm-hmm. It's saying, oh, look at this person. They want to change. I'm going to make them feel special, and I'm going to do all these things to become their fearless leader so they don't question me, I can take their money, and I can take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. That's what a cult is in today's definition of it. Freemasonry doesn't do that. It doesn't do that whatsoever. No, it it leaves the membership alone to decide. Because, again, that's the power of Freemasonry. That's why there's no specific religion. That's why there's no specific political belief in order to join. It's because, like, Freemasonry takes all of these diverse human beings that join it as a kind of like uh, a fuel for its generator. It's trying to achieve something that's so, um, so unattainable in our immediate kind of like history, like perfecting humanity. Nobody even really knows what that looks like. 
But that's what Freemasonry is trying to do. So it, it casts the widest net possible and doesn't throw anything back into the sea. Every every piece of humanity can be used to fulfill this plan. So there's no there's no exclusion based on things as arbitrary as belief. Well, let me tell you something that's really irritating in Freemasonry, at <laughs> least in, in, in the lodges I've belonged to. So I'm studying, you know, when I was younger in Masonry, I'm studying, you know, with, with my mentor, you know, my, my warden. And I'd be like, well, what's this? And the answer is, well, what do you think it is? <laughs> and, you know, you start to get frustrated because, like, I don't know what it is. That's why I'm asking you to tell me. But it's an important lesson. Like, no, you have to come up with your own answers. Mm-hmm. In a cult, they would never tell you They'd what do you think. You, yeah. They'd be yeah. like, this is exactly what it means. And if you think otherwise, you're wrong and you're going to hell. Not only that, you're a bad person because you don't think that. That brings us nicely into the eighth point of what makes a cult a cult. Quote, the group uses public humiliation or punishment, debilitating work, sleep deprivation, or other practices to create groupthink and to suppress individualism and doubt. Now, again, we kind of covered over this because really it's it's kind of the same aspects over and over again in different areas of your life. But you know, this is an area of control that masonry doesn't have over, over a person's life. Like, we don't have barracks where all our members stay. We don't have compounds out in the woods. Like, they, for the most part, people go to lodge once, maybe twice a month, and that's the extent of their interaction with with the order. Maybe they go to a Masonic Philosophical Society meeting, but it's not something that's ever present in your life. Masonry is is much more of a retreat, kind of away from your your uh, mundane life into a more a place spiritual to rejuvenate. Existence. Exactly, somewhere to recharge and to. But it 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 doesn't really create the environment that can control somebody so so directly because it's it doesn't meet all the time like it's not uh, it's not infused into your community you're not only surrounded with masonry because really the the point of being a mason is to go out into the world and help spread the principles of masonry to go be a better person to spread light to to find truth to help other people around you it's not to kind of exist in this isolated community where everybody can control everybody else that's not the point of it well masonry spread throughout the world Literally, you can find Masonic lodges in almost any town, uh, at least in the Western world, and it's it's not. There's no group think. Again, there's so many different groups. They all, you know, there's groups that only take men. There's groups that only take women. There's groups that are mixed. There are groups that focus on charity. There are groups that focus on politics. There are groups that f- uh, focus on esotericism. There's just so many differences that 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 doesn't. That's not group think, right? And but but I want to focus on the two first words, which is public humiliation or punishment. There isn't any public humiliation and punishment. I mean, first of all, we don't do much in public. You know, it's it's mostly within our temples because we consider our, our rituals so sacred. And and there isn't any humiliation, and there certainly isn't any punishment. For any of you that watch the movie From Hell uh, with Johnny Depp, right? Uh, you know, there's a, there's a scene where you know. Um, Jack the Ripper, right? The, the guy they find out who's Jack the Ripper is given a lobotomy because, you know, that's his punishment in a Masonic court. That, that's such fiction, it's not even <laughs> funny. I mean, there's, there's absolutely no historical context for that whatsoever. The worst that can happen inside um, the Masonic world is because it does have its own courts, and that's mm-hmm. to try somebody for unmasonic conduct, which is treating another brother um, in, a, in a vile way, you know, stealing from a brother, you know, injuring a brother. Um, the worst that can happen is that you're expelled from the order. There's no punishment. You're mm-hmm. not going to be physically punished, not going to be mentally punished. Now, I could argue that in religion, there is public humiliation, and there is punishment. 
Because if you do something against the rules, uh, I know like within Mormonism, you're told that you can't take the sacrament for X amount of days, you, you know, and, or excuse me, for X amount of weeks uh, because they give sacrament out. And that's a very important part of their mm-hmm. right. So they're, they're withholding something that's sacred and important for salvation from you as a punishment uh, in the Catholic Church. Right? What what do they do there? Well, if we go back in history, I mean, people would literally sometimes. I mean, the Inquisition when you get beaten, you know, <laughs> a lot worse than that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> burned at the stake, flagellated, like your entire family kidnapped and tortured for suspicion of witchcraft. Like these things have definitely happened, and and there have never been Masonic Inquisitions. Never. I, I I can't think of one historical instance of of a Masonic punishment or public humiliation. Again, the worst that happens is like, oh, look, you broke the rules. You can't be part of our society anymore. Go find another society. And that's a, that's a fit um, execution of the law. It's, it's just saying, look, we, you, you don't, you're not compatible with us. Yeah. But that's not a punishment, and that's not a humiliation. You go to religion, I think you find a lot of humiliation and you find a lot of punishment. So if we move to uh, point number nine here, that kind of follows on with what we just said. Criticism or jokes about the leader or group are taken very seriously and likely punished. Again, I mean, just go into any Masonic forum, and <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the jokes about green beans and doing dishes after a lot, like they're they're flowing. I don't think criticism or jokes about the organization have ever been non-existent, or even or even mildly punished, let alone harshly punished in the way that um, people doing such things within cults are. So let's go to point number 10 of what makes a cult. The group is elitist, claiming special status for itself, its leaders, and its members. Well, I guess maybe a little bit guilty as charged for Freemasonry. I mean, I mean it, obviously, it is, it is an organization that has this concept that it, it has an elite group of members. Uh, I don't think that's the all-defining factor of a cult. Um, Masons don't have special status for themselves or their leaders or their members. But yeah, obviously, if you have a group and you only let certain people into the group, mm-hmm. well, then that's sort of an elitist mentality. But you could equally say that of um, the honor society in high school, right? They take all the kids with the highest GPAs and they get to have this, you know, special meetings and they get special awards and special treatment in school. I mean, that's elitist, but well, that's not a cult. You know, I would actually argue that, you know, one of the big differences between a, uh, a cult-like organization and something like masonry is that, like, an exclusive organization tends not to be cult-like for the, for the reason. And, and I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive, but if you look at, like, the most famous examples of cults, I'm thinking of Jim Jones and the People's Temple, for example. Anybody that wanted to join the cult was taken in. In, in, in a cult, anybody that wants to join the ideology, that wants to join the group, is taken in. Maybe they don't last. Maybe they, and rarely they're found to be like you know, non-cooperative with the figures in authority, so they have to be you know, removed in whatever way. But it's fairly common in masonry that people want to join, and we say no, because they're not compatible with the group. That's a great point, Brother Axel, because the idea is that people have to be—there's um, five points. You need to be free of mind. You need to be upright, just, moral, and of mature age. There's there's all these restrictions about joining. So yeah, a cult just takes anybody in that they can brainwash. Masonry kind of has you, you need to be a little bit polished before you can get in, which means you have a developed mind, you have stability in your life. And so why would you, if, if Freemasonry was a cult, why would you bring in people that would resist being in a cult? Exactly. It's, it's counterintuitive, right? Yeah. The only people that a cult might avoid are people that would not conform 
to that go but I mean, if we look at religions too just is anybody barred from converting to a religion very rarely well judaism is difficult mm-hmm. uh but for most for most religions they take anybody they take pretty much anybody and freemasonry does not do that it's not interested in in creating the largest member base or just extracting money from its members like that that's not the point of freemasonry it's not trying to necessarily spread itself it's trying to spread its ideas and its philosophies but it's not trying to grow the organization for the sake of organizational growth alone well and that goes to the status of its leaders trying to maintain the special status our leaders in freemasonry are not paid this is a volunteer organization yes somebody that works at a masonic temple that is a handyman or uh, that cleans the temple, they'll get paid for their services. But the leadership is not paid. So in Universal Co-Masonry, for example, the Supreme Council members um, don't get paid anything. It's a volunteer job. And that's a key there to looking at what we, what we call a modern-day call. Like, is all the money going to the leader and they just get to spend the money however they want? Well, that that's, should put up a red flag. But in Freemasonry, the monies are all controlled locally by the lodges, the, the members are not paid that. The money is used for charity. It's used to maintain buildings and, and to do community projects. So, again, in Freemasonry, how does the leader get this special status through money? They don't. Yeah, it, the, the opportunity for material manipulation and enrichment doesn't really exist. Like, there's money flowing through it, but in, in the way that the organization is structured— it's very hard for one person to kind of get at the head of that and just can kind of control all of that. That that opportunity is very difficult to come by, at least in our order. So let's go to the eleventh point of what makes a cult. And this is our the final point from this um, this association that we got these points from. The leader and the members maintain theirs is the only path to truth and salvation. Well, for Freemasonry. We don't talk about salvation. There is no plan of salvation. Masonry doesn't guarantee um, that you're going to go to the afterlife. Masonry only requires, in most jurisdictions, that you believe in some sort of afterlife. You can believe in reincarnation. You can believe in the Christian heaven or hell. There, you can believe in anything. It only requires that you have a belief mm-hmm. because the ritual touches on some of these concepts. But it doesn't guarantee you salvation. Mm-hmm. Masonry doesn't give you anything, frankly, other than a methodology by how to better think and question life. And perhaps, at least in the kind of religious or philosophical sense, maybe a context by which you can kind of understand all of the world's ideas on, on what an afterlife might be and what it what might be required in order for you to kind of pass on from this life with in a virtuous manner. Well, Freemasonry is very much a place you study comparative religion. In a cult, there are no comparative religious studies. Yeah, there's they, no comparisons. <laughs> they don't want you. They ban reading certain books or learning about certain ideas. But in Freemasonry, we're like, no, we're going to learn about all the religions. We're going to learn about all their salvation systems. We're going to learn about all their beliefs. That's not a sign of a cult. That's the opposite. That's people. That's that's an organization trying to make people more independent, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. here, here's everything out there. Which one resonates with you? Yeah, and and how can those ideas be used to help other people in whatever context that might be applicable here's the thing i really want to talk about is how do christians because it's usually from christians fundamentalist christians say that freemasonry is a cult when when i look at this list almost every major religion (laughs) (laughs) almost every major religion uh all these points are true and valid for them right i mean if we kind of quickly go through them you know like uh 
they're a religion or sect, you know, they have extreme ideas. I could say all religions have pretty extreme ideas, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They have leaders like popes and gurus that you have to listen to because they talk to God. You don't talk to God. They talk to God. They talk to God. And then they tell you what's right and wrong. Uh, So they have charismatic leaders. They're very zealous. They're protective. They don't want. They don't want their leadership questioned, mm-hmm. right? Yep. They they tell you not to question, doubt, or dissent, or you'll be punished. And you're you're punished. The way the the way church is really punished is by saying if you don't believe and do the things we tell you, you're not going to heaven. Yeah. That's the ultimate punishment. Yeah. If heaven <laughs> we're exists, holding the afterlife. Yeah, we're yeah. worth holding like the most glorious thing in all of existence mm-hmm. if you don't do what we tell you. That's the ultimate punishment, whether it's real or false that is a means of manipulation mm-hmm. well i mean it, it it becomes very extreme in certain cases I mean, if we look at criticism or jokes i mean religion has not reacted well throughout history to criticism and jokes about religion a lot of people were put to death both in history and in the modern times like a lot of times when people criticize or joke about somebody's religion and they be, they are so wrapped up in that that can lead to some very brutal and violent outcomes well, several years ago, if you remember in France, uh, some some newspaper, uh, a cartoonist had a, a cartoon of Mohammed, I think mm-hmm. with a bomb on his head or something. Something like that, yeah. It was, it was some kind of derogatory you know, portrayal of the prophet. And the result was what? <laughs> you know, three um, extremists, you know, storming this newspaper and killing a whole bunch of people, including, I believe, one or two members of the Grand Orient of France. So Masons were killed. That we're working for this newspaper. For criticizing and joking about religion. Yeah. yeah. And that's not the only time that something like that has happened. But you're never gonna you're never gonna find a Freemasonic religious terrorist that goes in and, <laughs> you know, kills a bunch of people for the sake of perfecting humanity. Well, if it's happened, I've never heard of it. I've certainly I'd love never someone heard to of point it. it out, right? Well, and if we look to it, you know, the group being elitist or claiming special status for itself. I mean, how many times have you heard chosen people to describe certain rel- and not not just Jewish sect, but like all religions describe themselves as the, the chosen, chosen. <laughs> the elect, yep. you know, the servants of God, um, the children of God, the children of the God. people of God. You know, and I, they do have a special status. I, you know, most people that I know that are um, fundamentalists in one religion or another, they believe they're special. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think this is part of their indoctrination because they indoctrinate their members to believe that they're persecuted because they're special and that people won't understand you. So by creating a division between us and them, mm-hmm. you ensure that your followers never kind of learn about the other truths because you're always like on defense. You know, you're you're very protective of the beliefs because there's this automatic like, whoa, whoa, you don't understand me because I'm special. I'm you the couldn't chosen. possibly understand me. So all of your criticism is just from the perspective of somebody that couldn't possibly understand my special status. So I won't have to listen to you. You know, and, and of course, every religion maintains that theirs is the only path to truth. And so there's not a religion out there that's like, yeah, this is cool, but so are they. And, you know, do whatever you want, really. Like, no no religion ever well, says that. maybe the Unitarian Church. Maybe, yeah. I could I could see that. But for, but for the most part, the mainstream religions, they're not telling you that the other ones are as good as they No, are. they're the only right ones. So, again, I mean, if you when you study cults, and, you, and there's several books you can read by a lot of people that have studied them, they, they basically say that a religion is different from a cult only because a religion has survived the sand <laughs> Survived the, the cult temp. phase, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and they got a lot of members. Mm-hmm. I find that kind of a weak uh, definition of what a religion is in comparison to a cult. I think a cult 
is exactly what we read. Mm-hmm. And there can be good cults and there can be bad cults. Going back to the time of Rome mm-hmm. and Greece, there are cults. You know, you, you adore these specific ideas. You believe in them with zeal. And it can be bad and it can be good. But just to claim that, you know, that you have this, this love of these ideas doesn't make you a bad person. If you go to the extreme, it's bad. But everything in the extreme is bad, right? You know, that's a really fascinating point. I, I've never kind of really thought about that. But, but every religious... Every religion has a cult phase that it has to survive before it gets to be called a religion. Like, like if you go back to the founding of Christianity, it was a bunch of zealous weirdos from the fringe of Roman society out in Judea that were following this one weird Messiah guy and were becoming fanatical weirdos back in the—that were definitely viewed as a cult by the Romans. The, the Romans laughed at the Christians. They, they, they thought they were lunatics. Yeah, and, and now they've just—they've they've survived that phase. Now they're a religion. Every, any any weird idea can survive. Eventually, in a thousand years from now, when Scientology dominates the planet as the <laughs> as the main religion, they will look back to the their cult phase when they, they they had to survive through to become a mainstream recognized religion. Look at Mormonism. It was definitely considered a cult mm-hmm. in the nineteenth century, and many Christians still consider it a cult. But slowly over time, as it gets bigger numbers and becomes more integrated with the other Christian groups. And performs outward work and forms of charity, um, they're less and less considered a cult, right? Yeah. Uh, but they were definitely considered a cult. But now they have, I don't know, 20 million members. So that's starting to fade away yeah. because they've kind of won this uh, this 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 test phase of you know you're it's like a probationary period where you're always a cult, and then you know if you pass, you get upgraded to a religion. And it's interesting. Perhaps masonry has uh, survived so long because it's never really submitted itself for the test phase. Like, it's never tried to expand into a religion. But so. we're just not a religion. You know, we just don't really qualify with most of these things because this is a civil society institution. This is a, they're nonprofit organizations that work towards the betterment of all. That's, I mean, again, we, we take people from all religions, from all philosophies, from all political sides. It makes it a little difficult sometimes because people don't get along, mm-hmm. but ultimately, that's what makes us a rich society of people working to the betterment of humanity. Now that we've covered the broad overview of what makes up a cult, let's get into some more specific and specifically religious criticism of Freemasonry. Now, there's a lot of religious figures that have criticized Freemasonry since its existence. Uh, one of my favorites to listen to is the uh, Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan and his uh, Islamic criticisms of Freemasonry. They tend to be a bit on the extreme side, but very entertaining. Uh, but today you found something from the Gospel Coalition. It's, uh, it's a series of uh, specifically Christian criticisms of Freemasonry that you found very interesting. So why don't we get into uh, the Gospel Coalition's word on Freemasonry. Everything we're about to read and discuss can be found on tgc.org. So don't take our word for <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, we didn't make this up. No, they no, made this they up. They made this up. You can go read it and you can get a good chuckle out of it like we did. So their first point is that Freemasonry is a religion. They love this. Fundamentalist Christians are just obsessed with this idea that Freemasonry is a religion. We're not a religion. We just do religious things as we discussed earlier in the podcast. So this is what they claim. Quote, On this score, the evidence is overwhelming. There is no room for any reasonable doubt as to Masonry being a religion. Not only do the symbols, rites, and temples of this order point unmistakably to it as a religion, but a great many Masonic authors of note emphatically declare it to be just that. Of almost numberless quotes that could be given here, the committee has selected a few. 
And so the first quote, Brother Axel, why don't you read it from our uh, illustrious predecessor, uh, Brother Ward. Brother Ward says, quote, I consider Freemasonry a sufficiently organized school of mysticism to be entitled to be called a religion. I boldly aver that Freemasonry is a religion, yet in no way conflicts with any other religion, unless that religion holds that no one outside its portals can be saved. Close quote. You know, I think it's interesting that they, they have to go to a quote from 150 years ago in order to find support for this idea of Freemasonry as a religion when these things could only be talked about in religious terms. I think G.S.M. Ward, if I'm not mistaken, was actually a priest or a, a, a vicar or something like before he became a Mason or while he was a Mason. I think that's uh, Joseph F. Newton. You're right. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. You know, this quote is, I've, I've, I've read this quote, and it's interesting if you read everything he writes before and after it, it puts a lot more context <laughs> in the situation. It's interesting how that works. Yeah, I love when people just select a few things and be like, busted. Um, <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is that when, when Ward is looking at the word religion, and this is in a very scientific way, he's not talking about an organized religion. He's talking about a religion in its original context. So in its original context, it is a Latin word. And it means to bind back, to return to the source. So he's basically saying here that religion, that masonry, is a way for us to find our creator. And I think one can find their creator in an organized religion, in a philosophy, uh, in your family, in your everyday life. You know, look under a stone, as uh, the Gospel of Thomas says, and you'll find God. You know, look in the trees, look up to the sky, you can also find God. So I have a question for you, Brother Matthias. Earlier, the uh, the committee of the Gospel Coalition here writes, uh, quote, Not only do the symbols, rites, and temples of this order point unmistakably to it as a religion. So where do you think that idea comes from? Is it just the fact that, like, uh, the Masonic mystery kind of surrounds the building of Solomon's Temple and that that is also in the Bible, so that's where they get that connection? Like, what are they talking about when they say that it provides unmistakably that it's a religion? I mean, I think that's a very just fundamental christian way of speaking about everything everything's so damn literal but you know symbols i mean just because we use a five-pointed star and you can find a five-pointed star in the bible doesn't mean that christians somehow have this monopoly on that symbol and that symbol can only be viewed through the context of christianity or judaism you know the five-pointed star as as i think you probably know is the pattern that venus makes in in, in the sky over a 40-year period so the ancients venerated it as a method by which to align the clocks of the time. And that goes into the second thing, which is the temples. You know, temples comes from the Latin word tempo and templus. And this word actually means measurement. You know, it's the same word that you get temperature from mm -hmm. um, or tempo. And so these words, you know, all kind of give the meaning that the temple is a place of keeping track of things. And, and to venerate things. So you can have a temple to humanity. You can have a temple to the arts and sciences. Like, mm -hmm. Temples is not a place just for Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Exactly. I mean, really, it's it's kind of those early observatories were where the the first sort of like semi-scientific observations were made that actually led to the astronomical basis for a lot of the stories that we find mm -hmm. In Christianity, you know, metamorphosized into like these allegories that are supposed to provide like spiritual education and guidance in one's life are actually remnants of ancient observations that were made by the priests that came before Christianity. I mean, it's no secret that 
Christianity has adopted a lot of pagan holidays, a lot of pagan heroes into it, like kind of folded into its canon um, that are basically like they're just bricks, historical bricks in a very old building that's been being built since far before Christianity, mm-hmm. but by the same kinds of traditions that Freemasonry is trying to carry on now. So, of course, they're going to find their own religion echoed in Masonry. It's because the mysteries built religions. Religions did not build the mystery. So, of course, if they're going to consider a mystery school, they're going to see echoes of their religion. Well, in their in their um, assertion that, that Masonry is a organized religion, they also say it's because we have rights. Okay. Um, the state also has rights, right? The inauguration of the American president every four years is a right. There's a specific ceremony, specific words are said. Uh, there's an obligation that takes place on a Bible. Um, you can have state rights. You can have uh, rights in an organized religion. You can have all sorts of ceremonies. You have ceremonies for tracking astronomical events, right? So, so this word rights doesn't belong to organized religion. I, these organized religions are so pompous in some ways, thinking that, you know, they own certain things and that nobody else can use these words. It can be a little frustrating, can it? Well, I mean... Well, you know, returning to what we talked about in our last episodes, kind of a, a dangerous idea, but you could definitely make the correlation between the state and religious rights. I mean, in England, to open their parliament, the, the Speaker of Parliament walks a magic wand to the door and bangs three times to be <laughs> let into the to the House of Commons. Like, these, these are things are not, you know, peculiar only to religion. But I think if you th- if you live your life in a religious context, and that's how you kind of frame everything in your life, then that's how you're going to see ritual no matter what context it's in. Even though religion does not have exclusive domain over the idea or practice of ritual. I would argue that Freemasonry believes that there are 7 billion religions. For every person on earth, there is a unique religion in the hearts and the minds of those persons. So their temple is their own body, right? Mm -hmm. And the rites are the way they live. And the symbols are which guide them through this mortal existence. So along this kind of same line of criticism, the next point we have here is that Freemasonry involves and promotes idolatry. Uh, this is this is going to be a juicy one for me. I, I like this idea that we're just a bunch of uh, idol worshippers in our Masonic lodges here. So the Gospel Coalition Committee that composed this report says, quote, Masonry is guilty of idolatry. Its worship and prayers are idol worship. The Masons may not with their hands have made an idol out of gold, silver, wood, or stone, but they created one with their own mind and reason, out of purely human thoughts and ideas. The latter is an idol no less than the former. Close quote. And here's another one. Quote, It is because tenets and practices of Freemasonry conflict with the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ that our church from its very beginning has held that membership in this organization conflicts with a faithful confession of this gospel. You know, I've always taken particular issue with that specific criticism. That I don't think that we do conflict with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I am obsessed with the gospel of Thomas. It's my favorite gospel, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't really see the, the conflict between the gospels in the Bible and the teachings of Freemasonry. Maybe you have more knowledge than I do. I think Masons very closely follow the teachings of Jesus. You know, the, the red print in the New Testament, not everybody else talking about it. But, you know, when Jesus tells us, you know, how to live a life that is virtuous and to return to God, I think that 
many other people before him said the same thing. He used a unique set of terminology that was very specific to Israel at the time, or actually it was Judea. Um, but nevertheless, I don't think that masonry conflicts with Christianity. Some portions of, of Christianity don't believe that, and that's because they think we're worshiping idols. And what's interesting is they admit that it's not a gold, silver, wood, or stone idol. <laughs> like, we don't have, you know, depictions of Baal or... Uh, which or one's Baphomet. your favorite? <laughs> or Baph- no, 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 you got another one that you love. Um, Moloch. Moloch. <laughs> oh, yeah, we don't have Moloch in our lodge that we're worshiping. Um, but it's it's they're made of purely human thought. And I'm like, well... I don't even understand what they're trying to say here. Yeah, we have concepts like charity and brotherly love and relief and truth. So are these idols? So symbols and concepts are idol? I'm, I'm unclear. It, I think it, it really comes down to a very literalist interpretation of Jesus Christ saying, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Like there is only salvation through a literal person named Jesus Christ. Whereas, you know, and, and maybe, this is, maybe this is the terrain of masonry and why we're so kind of fringe, at least by these, these groups' standards, is that we think of things symbolically and metaphorically. Like, perhaps Jesus Christ saying, I am the way, the truth, the light, and the salvation is, is a more metaphorical idea that, the, that your kind of higher consciousness is a way back to salvation. And I would argue also that, especially in the higher degrees in Freemasonry, we are told to combat false gods. We're told not to put people or things on pedestals and to worship them mm-hmm. i would argue that we don't really worship anything in a masonic lodge and, and if we do what we're, we're um what we're worshiping is the highest mm-hmm. the highest ideals and virtues of man we're not worshiping specific people or things or places it's these noble ideas so if they want to say that's idol worship then i guess guilty as charged but you know, I think what they're literally trying to say is that we're sitting there worshiping false gods that are misleading us down roads mm-hmm. that, you know, Christ wants to, to, to get us away from. Well, I think with our preoccupation with symbolism and metaphor, there's, there's no way to establish an idol. I, I guess un, unless you take this kind of vague idea of, of mental idols that we're creating out of human reason, but there, there's, no, there's no fixedness to masonry. Like there are things that are masonry and that there are not. But in terms of the interpretation of masonry, it's infinite. It's vast. It's there's seven billion different interpretations of it. Like there is no one one way to like, to contemplate masonry. Yeah, and you can't have idol worship uh, unless you got everybody on board, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's move on to our next point, which is it's one of my favorite <laughs> here. Uh, Freemasonry promotes universalism. Guilty. <laughs> Guilty is Guilty. <laughs> the heresy of universalism, the belief that all people will eventually be saved which permeates the writings of many Masonic authors, which is a doctrine inconsistent with New Testament teachings. <laughs> so, so some people Whoa. are just damned from the beginning? Yeah, so we promote that people uh, can save themselves. I mean, inherently, this, is, this philosophy is called um, humanism. And it's the idea that humans have their fate in their own hands, and they can cultivate truth, and they can improve themselves, and ultimately, their destiny is in their own hands. Yes, we are guilty of this. Masonry is, in many ways, a humanistic organization. It believes that each person has the power over their own life. We are not in a prison in which fate has us just shackled down and we have no other choice but to be damned with original sin. Well, and I think, you know, to to sympathize with the Gospel Coalition here for a moment— uh, only for a moment, How but, noble of you. <laughs> but I, I think when they hear when they hear universalism and humanism, they're probably immediately associating that with militant atheism. 
which I get because the two tend to go hand in hand. But I think in masonry, what you're talking about, that that right of each individual to kind of actualize themselves in fullness, I think many Masons, I'm not going to speak for every Mason because it's impossible, but I think many Masons would view that as a gift of the Most High, a gift of God, that our, that our gift from the highest is that we are able to to walk our own path, to uh, achieve our own destiny. That, that, that is God's gift to humanity, is, is our own individual power to achieve our own individual salvation. I think that is what God has given us. So the next point here from the Gospel Coalition, I think is, is equally ridiculous to the charge of promoting universalism. Freemasonry promotes a works-based view of salvation. Now, what that means might not be immediately clear, so they kind of explain it here in this quote. Quote, confidence in these secret orders and their teachings has always tended toward the embracing of a false hope of salvation through good works and improved moral service. So, Brother Axel, is this quote trying to say here, because this is a quote that's, that's coming from the Assemblies of God here, are they trying to say that good works and improved moral service is outside uh, our ability? Because that's absolutely ridiculous. And why... Why can't we have salvation through good works? I mean, I understand that, you know, Christianity split down this idea of good works or faith, um, but they're always kind of crapping on good works. And I'm like, well, isn't that kind of how you know that somebody's doing what the Bible has instructed them to do? Isn't isn't that evidence of their faith? Shouldn't your faith produce good works and improved moral service? Like, is this not like, maybe we're just, I, I, I think what it is, is that we don't, we don't say that you have to accept any particular ideology in order to perform good works and moral service. I think that the, the Christian um, argument here is that good works and, and moral service without the acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and the only path to God, that's their problem, but I would assume. But that's know. such a modern view. This idea of accepting Jesus into your heart was not something they were doing in the 3rd century AD. Okay, <laughs> And it's not certainly something you don't find in Catholicism. This is a very more modern idea that you find in evangelical uh, Christianity. But just to go to the simple idea of faith versus works, if you have faith in God and you follow his holy commandments, then you're going to do good works. And if you do good works, that probably means you also have faith. So, like, the two aren't, like, different spheres of thinking. Like, they, they go hand in hand, you know? If you do one, you have the other. If you have the other, you're going to do the other. So, I don't understand why they're always trying to separate these two and why they then condemn Freemasonry because they're saying you do good works. I mean, is that a bad thing to do good works? Is that Because it's always the argument that we're like, mm-hmm. oh, Freemasons believe in good works. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Again, guilty, you know? Is, is, that a ba- is that what cults do? Do cults like do good works and no. improve the moral service of their members? No, they no. don't. They do the opposite. The only work going on in a cult is towards its leader, right? Mm-hmm. And again, if we look at certain churches, like I don't know the the prosperity, um, the prosperity gospel. gospels of yeah. like uh, what's his name, Alstein? Uh, um, yeah, Joel Alstein. Just I mean, I think he's enriching his own pockets. He's more of a cult than Freemasonry. That the money's not going into anybody's pocket, right? Uh, I, you know, I find it interesting that uh, the, <laughs> it's interesting that the, the, the same craft that built the cathedrals of Christianity is now being criticized for not conforming with Christianity. Like in the 1300s, we were good enough to build the temples of God. But in the 20th and 21st century, we're not good enough to sit in those very same halls that we had a hand at building. 
because we believe in building things and not just believing in things. All right, so let's get on to our next point, which is, quote, the secrecy required of Freemasonry is antithetical to Christian fellowship. I've heard this one a lot. You want to read the quote? Sure. Quote, for Christians, the secrecy practiced by Freemasons poses a problem in that secrecy of any kind is destructive of fellowship. The Christian community is an open fellowship. You know, <laughs> a couple problems here. That I'm sorry, I have I'm, this. I'm having way too much fun with this. <laughs> so that's great for Christians of the 20th and 21st century. If we're talking about the Christians who knew Christ and ran from the Roman emperor and had to avoid being eaten by lions, I think those Christians would have a lot more to say about the necessity of secrecy in terms of like opposing what their faith declares to be evil than perhaps these Christians who have become comfortable in modern civilization would have, have to say. Because I think, they, I mean, they forget that Christianity, before it became an organized religion over the past 2,000 years, was a radical way of thinking that totally departed from everything that was socially acceptable and was in fact a politically dangerous view to have, which may have necessitated some secrecy at the founding of this religion. Well, in another way too, they're claiming that their fellowship is open. They have open fellowship. I mean, that's not true, right? So what about all the gay people or people that are that are transitioning or, or the fact that most Christian faiths don't allow women to assume the priesthood or or to be pastors, right? In their in their in their in their organizations. Like they're not open. They discriminate on race. They have. I'm not gonna say they all do. They discriminate on sexual preference and, and sexual orientation. They discriminate based on gender. They discriminate in many ways. They don't have an open fellowship. That's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, maybe, I mean, perhaps the Gospel Coalition does. I mean, there are certain, there are a million Christian sects, so maybe there are a few that are open. I mean, the the Unitarians certainly seem to be open, but the history of Christianity no, has they, not they, been they one of They think that's open. a cult, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so no, 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 you're right. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the history of Christianity has not been one of openness and inclusion until maybe the last five minutes, if that. Which is good. I mean, I think that's a, a yeah, lot of progress, progress. is progress. But, you know, they're saying because we meet in secret, then we have uh, we have something that destroys fellowship. No, we, we have secrecy, as you said, because there's a historical context of being persecuted. But the other reason is that we don't, we're not a secret society. Let, let's break down this um, conspiracy theory. We are a society with secrets if we were a secret society we wouldn't be doing this bloody podcast podcast. (laughs) you couldn't find masonic websites or like apply for membership we would have to find you you wouldn't know that we exist so if we are a secret society we've done a really poor job of that no we are not a secret society we are a society that we have rituals that are sacred to us so we don't necessarily even keep them secret because you can go down to Barnes and Noble, you can get on Amazon.com, you can buy Duncan's Ritual, you can buy a hundred rituals, you can go to eBay and find rituals going back hundreds of years. It's not a secret. If you want to find it, you can find it. It's not going to make much sense to you because masonry is an experience, and the and the thing, the reason that that people consider it secret is and we consider it sacred, is that we just don't go around giving the rituals out because if you read them before you take the ceremony, it ruins the experience. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing in the ceremonies that go against your religion, goes against your civic duty, or goes against your conscience. You're not going to be asked to to uh, kill uh, little children, to ride goats. That's another one of these. You know, there's there's all this nonsense. It's, it's, it's a very pleasant experience. It's very symbolic and very wholesome. 
Yeah, I, I, the the secrecy is to preserve the mystery of Freemasonry, not to you know you know pr- promote uh, any kind of insurrection or or immoral behavior behind closed doors. That's not what it's there for. Like there are good reasons to keep secrets, and I and to prove that, like everybody listening to this podcast, myself, yourself, ev- all of our listeners, we all have secrets. We all have things we don't tell everybody, and they're not all bad things. They're not, we're not all walking around with terrible, you know, immoral acts in our past that we just keep hidden from everybody. There are private things in our life, and you know, Freemasonry, like any other organization, is like a family. Families have secrets. Like we have things that are only known to Freemasons because, like you said, they can only be contextualized by the people that have actually had the experience. You know, in this, in the very same Bible that these people who are denouncing secrecy, in the very same Bible is written, do not cast pearls before swine, for they will be ground to dust. Like, that's in the Bible. So the idea of, like, keeping things back from the masses lest they be ground into nothing, like, that's not from Freemasonry. That's Christian. Yeah, and if we, if we look at the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says the following. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has been given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even that he has, will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Oh, that seems like he's uh, promoting secrecy and, yeah. and oath-bound brotherhoods Whoa, there. Is Jesus a heretic <laughs> over here? He's saying the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not everybody. Wow, that's... That sounds oddly Masonic, That sounds quite it? Masonic. So the next claim from the Gospel Coalition is that Freemasonry promotes a false claim about the name of God. So, I mean, they basically object that we have different names and different degrees for God, so... You know, the one that's very obvious to everybody is we use the term the great architect of the universe. And they're like, that's not the real God. That's that's a lesser God. That's some sort of idol, some sort of demon, and that we are not really talking about the one true God. But you don't – you're not told that until you get to the very high degrees of Freemasonry. Only when you get the 33rd, you find that the one true God is not the God that you've been following but another God. And therefore you've been had, and that's why it's a cult because we're misleading people from the bottom all the way to the top until finally you're so deep in and you've killed so many children and ridden <laughs> so many so goats. much blood that well, you're so committed you're committed that you just screw it i'll it. follow lucifer yeah exactly you've already made it your oath to him so this is ridiculous uh, as, <laughs> as the rest of course we use the term the great architect of the universe because we accept people from so many different faiths that we can't use a name that would be found only to one particular group so the great architect of the universe does on one hand um it unites everybody under a name that nobody's gonna have an objection to second of all the characteristic of being an archetype or an architect excuse me um kind of infers this concept that that god has laid out a blueprint which is naturalistic which is the the tracing board of nature so it implies to one to one degree a, a level of solidarity and on another level it explains the idea that God is not separate from nature. Mm-hmm. But I think they would accuse us of that being some sort of Christian crime too, because nature is somehow <laughs> Nature is impure. also evil, yeah. Well, their other criticism is that we omit the name of Jesus when we use biblical texts in their rituals, in our rituals, excuse me. So this is another quote from the Gospel Coalition of their specific grievance about the name of Jesus. 
Quote, Frequently in Masonic ritual, the inspired word of God is seriously mutilated. (laughs) (laughs) And in many instances, this mutilation consists in the omission of the name of Jesus Christ. In Mackey's Masonic Ritualist, the name of Christ is omitted from 1 Peter 2.5, 2 Thessalonians 3.6, and 2 Thessalonians 3.12. With reference to the Elysian of the Savior's name from 1 Peter 2.5, the following explanation is offered. Quote, the passages are taken with slight but necessary modifications from the first epistle of Peter. The reason for this modification is obvious. Masonry does not claim to be Christian, but on the, on the contrary purports to be the essence of all religions. Therefore, its ritual has no place for distinctly Christian material. That the omission of the name which is above every name is described as a slight but necessary modification speaks volumes. I I would say it does speak volumes. Uh. I mean, they're right. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's an institution that has people from different faiths, so we don't necessarily are going to make it a christian organization it isn't a christian organization it's not the christian religion though it has inspirations from christianity and it references thing in christianity so i'm not sure how this is cultish or crime and i I, can you explain that to me no honestly as i was i haven't read this document before so as i was reading this quote i was actually uh i was expecting much more of a dramatic payoff to that I, i think the essence of the complaint here is that well it's not christianity yeah, well, it's true. It's not <laughs> that is true. It's, it's Freemasonry. Well, they made one good point so far. <laughs> Excellent. Let's move on to our final point. So this is my favorite point of this whole document. I've been excited to talk about this the whole Wait, time. Hold on. You've already had some favorite ones. Uh, <laughs> it's just getting more favorite. Every one is my favorite as I go through this document you found. So their final and most serious crime that they allege of us is that Freemasonry promotes pagan and occultic texts and doctrines. Guilty, once again. I think we do, uh, from the Christian perspective, promote pagan and occultic texts. So this is what they say, quote, The recommended readings in pursuance of advanced degrees of religions and philosophies, which are undeniably pagan and or occult, such as much of the writings of Albert Pike, Albert Mackey, Manley Hall, Rex Hitchens, W.I. Wilmhurst, and other such authors, along with their works such as Morals and Dogma, A Bridge to Light, An Encyclopedia of Freemasonry, and The Meaning of Masonry. Those are some really dark and spooky sounding titles. Ooh, a bridge to light. That, that just sounds like pure evil. That's a bridge to the devil. You know, this really, what this does is remind me that I have to go back and read some more Manly P. Hall. Because it's been a long time since I've picked up um, the secret teachings of all ages. I mean, honestly, when I hear names like Albert Pike and Albert Mackey, Manly P. Hall and Wilmhurst, these are my heroes. I mean, these people are, are so intellectual that they're drawing upon, yes, pagan roots roman roots greek roots they're pulling on on information from babylonia from um syria egypt from all over the world i mean they're geniuses and they're able to show that the the symbols of freemasonry are universal because you can find them in so much different places and again from the beginning of our podcast let's remember that occult not a cult but occult just means that which is hidden Mm -hmm. yes we as Freemasons are seeking the hidden truth. We know that there's more to life than what the media is telling us, more than the schools tell us, more than that the organized religions are telling us. So we're looking for a deeper truth. And these writers, some of the greatest writers that I have ever read in my entire life, they are showing us the way. They, they are a bridge to light. Well, and if we're going to look into etymology, pagan just comes from the Latin paganus, meaning of the country. 
It, it, what they're talking about when they say pagan beliefs is literally the beliefs of the very same people that they converted to Christianity and then slapped saints over their holidays to keep them interested in this new religion that they were creating. Yeah, the reason Christmas is December 25th is because of the pagans. Yeah. Easter, Passover, all these holidays go way beyond the Judeo-Christian faiths. All of the modern religions are built upon the foundations of paganism. And so if they want to shoot that out, then they're shooting out the foundation on which they're built upon. Well, and to me, really, I mean, is the point here that the only good book is the Bible? <laughs> like, is that all your... Which, so it is a good book. It's I, a great book. I've read it. Like, it is a very good book. I, I've learned a lot from the Bible. Well, hold on. You've actually read it from beginning to end? Uh, no, when I was young, I used to read the the Apocalypse, like, over and over again. I love the Apocrypha. I've read a few of the Gospels, but... Really? You like the end of the But I like, I like the end like where it all world. ends yeah. in fire and brimstone. So again, I guess guilty is charged, right? I mean, we, I mean, we do promote, you know, pagan ideas, and and we do promote reading occult texts, and 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 not necessarily their doctrines. We tell you to research those doctrines and see whether they fit into your life mm-hmm. or not. Shouldn't that be the will of any open-minded, free human being to read things and to determine whether it's for them or not? Or should we ban those texts from them? Well, I mean... Just Sounds like the Nazis uh, to me. Uh, a, few par- <laughs> well, <laughs> a few paragraphs ago, they were calling themselves an open fellowship. If I were to join a society that called itself an open fellowship, I would be expected to have the, read- the freedom to read books that I wanted to read without anyone telling me that anything was evil. I mean, there's a reason I bring up the Nazis. I don't think it's so far-fetched. I mean, through the last two millennia, Christian denominations have burned many books right mm-hmm. they've burned many books they've 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 burned many people they've burned many people you know there's a lot of burnings going on one way or the other so yes i think when you look at it freemasonry there is absolutely no history that freemasonry has committed any genocides any atrocities started any wars right mm-hmm. there has been no assassinations no there's Masonic a few odd Inquisition. stories yeah. like we can go back to the morgan affair, yeah, the morgan and, affair. And, and maybe Maybe one guy was killed, probably not actually. Um, but Masonry has never committed any of these terrible things. When we look at Christianity, and I love Christianity, and I love Jesus Christ, but when you look at organized religion, when you look at the organized sects of Christianity, they've committed terrible things. And then they have the audacity to point the finger at us because we meet in temples and try to find out who we really are. And close the doors oh, behind what a us. crime. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in conclusion, Brother Matthias, We've been talking a lot about cults, cult-like behavior, and cult-like beliefs. Is Freemasonry a cult? No. <laughs> I was hoping for something a little bit more poetic. I mean, I mean, I think we've kind of gone through it here in the last hour and a half. Now, Freemasonry is not a cult. It's not even close to a cult. There's nothing cult-like about it. And frankly, if any religion wants to point the finger at us, they really need to point that finger back at themselves because they almost qualify for everything back on that what is a cult list that we read. Mm-hmm. And that comes from a nonprofit organization that, that's collected this information, that studies it. You know, this idea that a religion is not a cult only because it's got a lot of members and it's survived uh, the test of time, that's nonsense. I think that's nonsense. I believe that there should be organized religions, mm-hmm. but I don't believe those religions should ever be organized around a personality. There should be no person between me and God. No, no, no. The only thing between us is nothing. I have a direct lick to God. I can, I can go find God out in nature. I can find him in a temple, in a synagogue, uh, in a church, in a ward, in any of these great places. You can find God. No religion has a monopoly. And this goes back to our anarchy study group. That power, in my opinion, should be decentralized. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it has been over the last 300 years. Churches don't have that sway over people like they used to. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, people need to make that relationship with God. And I think Freemasonry is not a religion. It's a tool. And that's a big difference. We're a tool. And that tool helps you find God. But it's not between you and God. Thank you for listening to Legends of the Craft. This podcast is purely the opinion of brothers Matthias Comcier and Axel Suvari not represent the official views of Universal Comasonry. Universal Comasonry is a Masonic order founded on the principles of liberty, equality, and fraternity that admits men and women without distinction of race, religion, or creed. For more information, please visit universalfreemasonry.org.